And welcome to God Jabril, the best podcast where two people talk about our two favorite things and hopefully things that you care about out there, fish and beer. Pretty sure this is the only podcast about fish and beer, so. I don't think that's true, <laughs> but I'm, I like what our podcast is about. I like it. Okay. I'm the Liza. And I'm the kid. We're back. Episode 37. I don't know. I'm, I'm not allowed track. to say I'm not allowed to say anymore because I always say the wrong number. Yeah, you do do that often, very often. Thirty plus. <laughs> That's all I know how to say. <laughs> Our podcast is in its thirties. Yeah, thirty. Which plus. means it's it's starting to realize its mortality. <laughs> it's my age. It's our ages. Our ages. It's actually almost as old as fishes too. Fish. Yeah. So yeah, I read this in an article today. They celebrated their 30th anniversary. I forget what year, but they're set to now celebrate their 40th anniversary in 2023, which is only four years away. Yeah, they're, I mean, they, so that's they're simple older math, than I am. But I can't do it in my head because I just don't care right now. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's I'm, in four years, they're going to be 40 years old, which is fucking crazy. Yeah. It's a long time to be a band and it's a long time to stay successful as a band. Yeah. Um, it's it a really long time is, to man. be a band and to not have peaked, I think is a better way to say that. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mo- yes. Like the, the who right now, I don't need to see the who they're only getting worse with age. You too. Only getting worse with age. Rolling stones. I'll argue is keeping their, their yeah, moxie, there's no, like, there's I mean, I would be hard pressed to, to name you another band that I think is, uh, as relevant as a as, as a band in their 40s or almost 40s which is great man yeah it's a good time to be living these days good fish time to be alive i'm For glad yes. glad glad to be alive nerd so uh so we're, t- we're talking summer tour summer tour 2019 which is great i always feel like i like forget about summer tour like i don't really like have these like intense memories because nothing like crazy ever happens for me at summer tour but like it's one of my favorite times to go see fish because it's such a cool vibe okay you get the outdoor yeah you get so most of the time they're playing outside they're playing in outdoor arenas or pavilions and you just get like that like happiness because you're outside and it's nighttime and it's warm and it's breezy and you're just like loving summer so you've mentioned this in past episodes there's something with you and about seeing fish outside that's more specific than it just being outside like what about an outdoor show separates itself from an indoor venue specifically for you like we just saw a bunch I, of shows outside. Okay, so I think, I forget, like, I read all the fish.net reviews, and I love them all. They're so fucking hilarious. It's great, because they're written by such a myriad of people. Right. But I forget, there was one recently, and they were talking about SPAC, was that just, there was this couple, and they were talking about always going to see them at Saratoga, and it was partly because, like, that's, like, their hometown venue, and it's, like, such a nice, beautiful place to, like, see fish. In the summer, you get to see fish in, like, national parks, and just, like, in these beautiful, like... <laughs> mountains and skies and just like i don't know it's like you get to feel like it's like a bigger thing than it is like yeah, i don't know venue in washington that people the got gorge. to camp last year yeah, yeah yeah that's what i'm saying they just play so many like beautiful places like it's cool and i was saying earlier that like i love it because i think it helps to find an actual fish show like all of set one you're like 
loving it and you're having a good time and it's daytime so like you're enjoying the outside and you're like not trying to just ignore your surroundings you're like embracing your surroundings and then they wait do the set break and then come in at night when it gets dark for set two so it's like it actually is like seeing two different bands but not really you know what i mean like you get like a cool like i'm loving summer first set which is usually when they play their like happy throwaway songs anyway and then it gets dark and like you're like yeah and then you can like start like paying attention to the lights and it's usually when they get like a little more heavy and like i don't know i just feel like the outside space is such a mirror of like what's going on in the show and it's great i kind the I it's not just being a stinky stadium i was gonna say stinky i kind of want to call bullshit on that because i feel like we saw a show at an outdoor venue where they opened with Mike's Hydrogen Weekapog during the day set. And like, that's kind of like a set, uh, like a, a stage to rage, I would say. So I don't know if I, I mean, I get what you're saying though. And I think it's more true, especially when you're at a festival that like the day sets, like the Wait, Saturday What other time set. are you at a festival than in the summer? That's my point. I don't point. know. It's been a while. Magnapol got point. canceled. Yeah. Like, too soon for you do to you make not me see where i'm coming from with loving I, summer I, tour like it's very obvious I, everyone would agree with me i get the environmental yeah, aesthetics exactly. that you're trying to set up in principle but i don't think it memory um, i don't think it mimics the sets i don't think they like go in and go oh set one has to be calmer because it's not dark yet i didn't We're gonna say save the that. party for the like nighttime i absolutely didn't say that and That's i feel I like you're just it. ignoring everything i just no, tried to i say. i think there's something to be said about a first set daytime set having a separate vibe than like the party night set. I just don't know that the music mirrors that I think they just still play what they want to play. Um, yeah, but, I'm not arguing that you asked me to explain to you why I like seeing them in the summer. And now you're just pulling out like a very dumb specific sentence that like is m pretty irrelevant to the larger point. I need you to like <laughs> roll with the conversation and not derail it. Can we do that? Yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. Fine. Cool. Um, I think there's something to be said about the environment and the aesthetic that the environment brings. Again, my simple point is, is that I just don't know that um, it's as orchestrated as like a scene or a, a painting. Like they, they kind of like, it's almost as if like Trey walks out to the audience before the show, way before anybody's even at the venue and sticks his thumb to the stage and they go, all right, this is the painting I'm trying to, you know, what this is what I'm trying to do tonight but I think one of the things that's hard to really like dissect in that like if we wanted to talk about like lights or if we wanted to talk about things that are specific that don't show up as well during the daytime uh it's a hard conversation to say because they so rarely other than summer tour like they're always playing inside and even a lot of the venues they've been playing on summer tour are inside like do you not like consider external factors when you're thinking about a show I or when do, you're going to a I'm show? I'm glad you like, said that. Like are all of them the same to you? They're just different no, music? I, like I, every show is different because of all the variable factors. And summer has like a general thread that like threads them all together where they try to play or mostly play or all, I think, outdoor shows. And that's that contributes to the summer feeling. That's uh, and that's fine, and it actually segues into what you. I think summer does expose you to, and that's the elements. Correct. I think the summer makes you realize that uh, it, it tests your like fish fandom, if you would, because if it's pouring ass rain, which it did a lot this summer tour, your fans now have to stand in the elements to hear you play, 
and there was something very unique. I mean, when we were up in Bangor, Maine, we had a rainy uh, first show and it dramatically impacted, you know, our vibe at the show. And I mean, the environment was cooler. It was, you know, um, what was it? The end of June. So it's like, it was, I would have expected it. I didn't bring any sweatshirt. I didn't bring a jacket, like a jacket other than my raincoat. Like I was expecting summer weather in Maine and it was still like what would be the type of weather we'd be experiencing in like March, April in New York. Right. And we ended up seeing that set one day apart from Philly and that was a totally different experience. Balls hot and monsoon rain. Correct. So, so that's what I'm saying. You're pr- you're proving my point a little by kind of calling on the elements. Well, I think I experiences mean, are different. The experiences are different, but I, mean, I think weather is one element. Grass is always greener, right? I think people who <laughs> were in the pavilion for Camden when it monsooned and they had to start the set late. Like, I don't think that they would have told you they would have preferred to be in a monsoon to hear their band, pl- their favorite band play. They probably would have wanted to sit where they had scoped out their spots and watch a normal show. Yeah, I mean, but, like, even when we had seats for Camden, it was still nice. Like, it was breezy and, like, I don't know. There's just, like, an element to being outside that makes the show better for me. Well, there are those who argue that, like, the Fenway show, the set, uh, the second day was, like, so unique because the show got rain delayed that they had to play one whole show that's in true. one set. And it's like the second longest set on record other than what was it? It or whatever. That was like Y2K when they played all night long. Red Rocks. Was that Red Rocks? Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) it's like, yeah, that's cool. That's what I'm saying, man. So I'm just saying to me that adds that just like extra layer of improvisation. So can I ask you a question? I think if I'm understanding you correctly, Uh uh-huh. What's helping make the outside venues unique for you is that it adds more variables, which ultimately make your fish experience more unique. Yeah. That it helps. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Okay. So it puts you in a specific place and gives you like more like memory markers to like pull from. Like seeing fish at any inside venue is like seeing fish at any inside venue. There's nothing distinctive about it. Like, there are elements outside that just make it better for me. Like they trigger my senses and that helps me remember things better. But see, this is why I'm asking you to get more specific because there are elemental markers of any type of show, be it inside or outside. I can honestly tell yeah, you. I mean, that's true. I would have never, ever in my life. I've been to Vegas once in my entire life and it was to see fish on Halloween. And it's the only way I would ever go to Vegas. I've only been to Atlantic City twice and both times were to see fish. So like I I don't know how What's your point? to distinguish like that's just because I'm following the band. I don't know that's because like the weather is adding such a unique experience to the I don't I, I'm trying to figure out like what you're attributing to the weather and, and outside venues and what you're not in terms of the concert going experience. Everything that I have previously mentioned, like wind and rain and sunshine. <laughs> so the physical elements, that's it. Plus more. The weather. <laughs> Is it? Uh, I think that you oversimplify everything okay. I say. So if that's what you well, choose to do, that's so cool. Let's, let's, that, let's boil it down to basically nothing. That's cool. Take that. There'll be your takeaway. But this is why, because we're segueing into <laughs> the next topic and that's like, that's like seats or lawn. 
And yeah. A, and, and so again, it's a different part that contributes to the show, which is my ultimate thing. Like you can never divorce like the experience you have at said place at said show with the show. So it does lead us perfectly into our next fucking thing, having lawn or seats. And people, a lot of people, most people will argue that if you have seats, you're going to like that show better. And if you're in the lawn because you're further away, you're going to have less good time. I don't believe that. Because again, I think both of those experiences are different and good. Different and unique and good. They're equal because they're different. I think it depends on what you like. Like you're, you're one to vote for the lawn, correct? Yes, I love being on the lawn. Why do you like being on the lawn? <laughs> because of everything that we've already been talking about. I like like taking my shoes off and like feeling the grass and like having a ton of space and just like being around people who are there to just like chillax and like hang back and like fucking enjoy the overall experience and not be like hanging on every little tiny fucking note and like worrying about that. So when you get to the venue and you like to get to the venue really early and there's almost no one there. I do. Um, <laughs> Sorry. And I have a very different <laughs> perspective when we go to the fish shows. So let's pretend mm-hmm. like you go to the fish show by yourself mm-hmm. and you get to the venue as soon as the door is open. No one's there yet. Yep. Where are you going to on the lawn? I don't go to the lawn first. I walk in. I like, get a sense for the place. I right. like, find out where the bathrooms are. I go get yeah, a beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check out Pat, the food. Yeah. You're now on the lawn. Now I'm up you to got the your lawn. Beer. Yep. You're ready I, to pick my, your spot. I went and got my lawn seat, my chair. At Camden. Yes, you can do that. <laughs> uh-huh. A lot of venues you can do that. Not at SPAC, not at PNC, not at Jones Beach. Can't do but Yeah, okay, SPAC sucks. I hate SPAC. I hate SPAC. Um, yeah, so then what do you mean? Like, how do I determine where I sit? Yeah, where are you going? The center. In the venue. And high up. As high up and far back where there are as few people are and in the center. Why do you center, pick the center? up high. Because it's like I get to see everything. It's like a 360 view. I get to see the sunset. I get to see all, everyone on the lawn. I get to the whole <laughs> what's, stage. What's hilarious to me about this is that you're talking from a very, very specific venue perspective. You're talking about Camden. Like yeah, those were our sure, seats sure. at Camden. You're talking about the 360 That's the only view time I've like, seen fish on a lawn. I've never seen fish on any other lawn okay. at any other venue. That makes sense. Because I was going to say, if we are at PNC, you're not looking at any skyline. You're not looking at like much of anything but the back of the venue, which then yeah. goes down steps. Like there's no view of anything. Yeah. And like when we were in Bangor, the, the lawn was actually incredibly small. And like where it was in reference to the stage was like, <laughs> good luck trying to see Bangor the stage. <laughs> were a cool bunch of shows, but that venue was horrible. Yeah. I just, I'm sorry. And like, I really like Bangor. I think it was cool. Like the layout was bad. Like it was, yeah, it was, everything was set up in a fucking field and they were like doing their best to try to con you into thinking it was like an arena or a venue. And it's not stage was super fucking small. The chairs were literally fold up chairs that were zip tied together. Like that's so fucked up. It was a put up stage on the the side of the road thing. (laughs) It literally was on the side of the road. The whole thing. I'm sorry. is like not, good now how many <laughs> no let's continue still this. sounded good there they had and i thought this was really funny in bangor they had vip booths and in order to get a vip booth you had to be obviously from maine and you had to buy into a season pass and see multiple shows that came through that venue my question for someone who only went up to bangor maine and i don't know i would have to like try to look into um like what that season pass 
They, gained so you that was to, that but... is the one thing you kept like asking me before we went up there like what the it was like and i was just like they set up the seats because they're just fold-up seats they set them up different for different acts that, that end up playing there so until we walked in i didn't know how it was going to be set up or where our seats were or like what the view is going to be and that's kind of annoying yeah i mean i it... like those shows because it was massively undersold and we had a really good time and a ton of room to dance around, even though we were in seats. But you're, but that's just attendance based, and like that show was very undersold. Like yeah, people just I would, I would hate track. to go see a band there with all of those seats full. It would be miserable. I would have absolutely a horrible. Time. I would be surprised if even like the most country of shit or like Billy Joel or like anybody could fill that entire venue, and that venue's not that big. Um, just because of like the the thickness of the venue, it's like really skinny because yeah. it's on the side of a road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the pit is like down yeah. and deep and small, and then it's just like row seating after that, which is up on this ledge, so you don't have the obstructed view of all the people in the pit. <laughs> and then the lawn is a slight, if you can call it a rake off of that, which is just leading to the end of the road where the road actually goes to a parking garage for a commercial like. Uh, building unit that is really a bank like it's not like you're saying i would see so like now that i see how they set that up i would never ever go to see any band there if i got lawn because the lawn is not a lawn it's just grass people are standing on grass it's not like curved up like it's not a lawn it's like just a fucking piece of gated golf grass all right i actually was able to find the venue's website the waterfront concerts as they call it darling's waterfront darling's waterfront pavilion yeah, call, call it what it is. They call it a pavilion. Can you call it a pavilion? There's no structure. So uh, here are the next shows for the rest of July. I find this funny. Um, <laughs> it's Florida Georgia Line with Dan, is. Shay, Morgan, Wallen, and Hardy. I don't even know who the fuck those be. Some country shit. Billy Currington, country again. Cat Country ninety eight point one presents Lee Bryce. Another country thing. Heart. <laughs> <laughs> the Love Alive show with Cheryl Crow, Chris Stapleton, uh, Impact Music Festival, which I guess is just a bunch of local bands, another festival with a bunch of local bands, Roadblock Music Festival, Dark Star Orchestra, uh, don't know what that is, Joe Bonamassa, the guitar event of the year, they say, like, and Train. <laughs> That's the whole rest of July. I, Fish just plays up there because they like playing up there. What percentage of the venue you think is going to be full for even the best show that I mentioned? I think Train 50, or Heart would be the two, fifty percent, and maybe fifty percent. Yeah. I would agree. I all, well, you also have to consider that the shows we saw in Banger were Tuesday and Wednesday. So, so no one's going. No, to but by your logic, Tuesday wouldn't Banger be a good bet for a Fish show for summer tour because you know it's going to yeah, be it undersold, underpopulated. Yeah, I enjoyed it. The only <laughs> shitty part is that about staying somewhere in Bangor. There's like two choices of hotels, a casino, which is small and shitty, and another place that's trying to present itself as like a five-star hotel, and it's basically like, at best, a holiday inn here in Brooklyn. Yeah, you can have Airbnb. Like, Who cares, man? You didn't have fun at those shows? I'm just saying you like... You spent 20 minutes hating on everything. You did not have fun at those shows? I had, I had a, a great lot time of fun at those, at those shows. shows. I'm just saying it's one of those places where the environment, to me, is not catering to the actual event itself. I'm settling for what the environment can offer me in order to see said show. I actually think if I could go back and do it all over again, I kind of want to say I would trade Banger for Fenway. 
because Fenway's in Boston and I could have like had the city to like put up next to it and all that other shit. Same way that like, you know, there's Philly when you go to Camden, we stay in Philly and have the city to kind of go about and eat food and do shit. Instead, we were in Bangor, Maine with a kitchenette hotel room and eating turkey sandwiches because <laughs> there's not much going on up there. Like for me, if you're going to say it's about the experience, give me the fucking experience. I want the room with the view. I want all the stuff to do. I want a fucking pool. Like I want all the like the amenities that go with it. If we're going to go environmental route, let's go environmental route and like give me the best environment. I say this all to say, I think, and this is something that I wanted to bring up this episode is that it's getting to a point now for me when I consider how I'm going to like strategize for a tour where I'm basically picking one show a run or like a run, run a, a tour. Sorry. So just trying to find one little leg of fish. So which to one see. would you have wanted to go to for summer tour? Dicks, which hasn't happened yet. Okay, aside from that, because that's going to be everyone's answer, what show would you have liked to have gone to? Of I can't believe run? you said you'd rather go fucking see them at Fenway Park and be like eight miles away than see them at a super small fucking venue in Bangor where it was like super undersold and like really fun. And I mean, I'm not like... <laughs> that blows my mind. You also, you again, said, this, is, so this, backwards is, this is so backwards But this is why the concept of like you know, what makes a good or perfect show for you and like how you kind of look at venues and all this stuff that we're talking about becomes important because like you're saying, you're a person who likes space and openness and yeah, like, this, these are all factors. These are all contributing. But factors. according to the factors, you would love Bangor because it was undersold. You had space. You, and all I your did love it. You're saying you want a vacation. I'm saying, I'm talking about just fish shows, like as fish shows. I'm not talking about the surrounding time I spent anywhere. I'm talking about going to see like fish. You're talking about the vacation and that is irrelevant because that's to me. honestly what fish has become now for me yeah fish, that's fine fish that's becomes, fair that's fish fair. becomes a sacrifice that's fair between choosing <laughs> like going to europe on an actual summer vacation or seeing five shows of fish and yeah but where's like the most fun place you've ever seen fish no matter where i see them i feel like i'm always struggling to do stuff that's in between seeing fish like vegas was fucking boring and lame <laughs> you're, again you're helping like, to make my point here and it's that no like, you're like I, I want the this not that i want to go to a fucking casino i, I want, want them honestly this is gonna sound like terrible Vegas should have been like your fucking hurrah then. yeah but they should start spreading out their <laughs> tours more if they're gonna play the way they've been playing of recent anyway they should start making like west coast part of like the tour because then i might end up saying you know what fuck it i'm gonna buy plane tickets and i'm gonna go to the gorge because I've never been to the Gorge. It's a legacy venue. Uh, you know, it's beautiful. You can camp and it's a vacation. Yeah, so why wouldn't you do that? That's what, But that's what I'm saying. That If we're getting to that point of like you're, you want me to choose how I want to see fish and how it would be. I mean, this is never going to happen again because the venue's too small for them now. I want to see them at Red Rocks. I want to see them, you know, I don't know, in Chicago. Play Chicago again. Yeah. You know, do the, fen do the, the, the park there. Like, yeah. Fucking cool. The White Sox. Did they play? I don't remember if they played in the White Sox. I like places where I can see them as small as possible. The <laughs> less amount of people possible. Well, you would, <laughs> you, you hope like undersold. You're not saying like the least number of people. Like the venue only holds a thousand and all a thousand seats are taken. You want to see them at like. I just like seeing them with as few people as possible. <laughs> okay. 
I think that's a pretty straightforward statement. I mean, here's the thing, though. The reason why I'm starting to think this way is because of this summer tour. For the first time ever, I got repeats. Yeah. And I saw shows back to back. Yeah. I saw a banger. What a Tuesday, Wednesday. Then we drove. We stayed in Portland on Thursday and we drove down from Portland to Philly on that Friday and immediately went to the shows Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Uh-huh. And we got more than one repeat. We got a few repeats. Uh-huh. And I don't know why, but I was angry. Uh-huh. I was upset. I had spent, you know, all this time and all this money trekking around to see fish looking for diversity. And I got repeats. <laughs> And that's why half the time when I choose to see them in quantity like that, it's because I'm trying to increase my exposure to the most amount of stuff that they can play. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I got incredibly let down this summer tour. Huh. And I, I, I breathed this out loud at uh, J3PO's apartment and uh, we're all hanging out. And I got told I was being a little pansy. And I was asking too much and like, because I was in Bangor and Philly are so far apart, you know, over eight hours apart, I should have like known that everything was back on the table because people who saw them in Bangor weren't going to see them in Philly. And I'm sorry, that logic fucking blows. (laughs) That's bullshit. That's anti-fish. That's not what like my version of fish stands for. And it makes me upset. And I feel like justified in being upset. (laughs) So now that changes my mindset about yeah. how I have to view everything. Because when I started seeing them in 2010, that's what it was. It was just like, I had this rule with myself that I've said a thousand times. I don't listen to things I hadn't heard before. Uh-huh. So the, the, the drive to see all these shows back to back, you know, if they were playing in Bethel's and then they were playing in Jones Beach and then they were playing PNC, like you wanted to see all those shows as close together as possible because you just started overexposing yourself to more and more content. But now it almost seems like those 60 songs that Trey talks about of them keeping a list isn't really 60 anymore. It almost feels like 45 or like even less than that because so many things are on the table again. Cool. I think your point is valid. However, (laughs) any band, including Fish, does what they're doing now. Where when you come out with a new album and Fish has come out with two... You practice and focus and fixate on the more recent music. I'd be okay with that. They could play as much Kazbot Vox repeat. They could play as much uh, Big Boat repeat. I'll give them that. The problem is, is that's not the repeats we're It's getting. not Big Boat. I'm not talking about Big Boat. I'm talking about Ghost of the Forest. Or Ghost of the Forest, Kazbot Vox, and Big Boat are all new material. That's all new material. Within a year, they did Cosbot Vox and Big Boat. Correct. Those are the no, 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 no. I'm talking about Cosbot Vox and Ghost of the Forest. Those are the Ghost two of the new Forest albums. is Trey by himself. That's like yes, but that's not true side. because they're doing a ton of Ghost of the Forest songs inside Fish now. No, I understand that. But what <laughs> I am saying is, Fish as a band uh-huh. gave you Cosbot Vox and mm-hmm. Big Boat in a year. If they were going on summer tour of twenty or all of the tour of 2018 and 2019 and playing a ton of Cosbot Vox and Big Boat, I'd be okay with that. But that's not the songs that they're repeating. That's my point. They're repeating Sand. They're repeating 46 Days. They're repeating Mike's Hydrogen Weekapog. They're repeating shit that you get on the regular anyway. And they're repeating it at more frequency. That's my point here. Like, I would give them a hard pass if they were playing Cosbot Box stuff in mass. And Big Boat stuff in mass. And Ghost of the Forest in mass. 
But that's not what's happening. That is what they're doing. Okay. <laughs> I <laughs> don't even want to argue with you because like everyone's allowed to have their point of view. I just think that you don't like fish anymore and you're getting super jaded and you focus on like a lot of the negative and like I think they're moving in a direction that just doesn't mesh with you. Like they are now for the first time, like summer tour after they fucking came out with Cosbot box, which was only in October. So there hasn't been a summer tour since they've come out with that album. This is their new album. This is the album they're featuring. They're taking those songs out. They're playing with them. Same for the ghost of the forest, Ruby waves. They jammed on that for the first time in Camden. We're not supposed to talk about it so, now, but last night's show was like literally one of the fucking most historical shows of all fish shows. They played a 38 minute Ruby waves. Like they're playing similar stuff and you're right. They are playing repeats of old stuff too, but they're like finding this like new pocket and they're figuring out what it means to work the new songs into the old songs. Can I challenge you to something right now? Sure. By the beginning of <laughs> next episode, by episode 38 uh-huh. at the top of the episode, when we intro and we say hi to everybody, I would love for you to have drawn up, because yeah. again, it's not that many shows this summer tour. Uh-huh. All the songs they've played and the frequencies of oh, which you they played. Like a spreadsheet. I can I can help you with that too because it's it's still a bunch of songs and a bunch of and a bunch of tallies. I would argue that most of the stuff that they're repeating is older stuff, and that they're not repeating the newer stuff as much. And on top of that, the stuff that they're repeating of the older stuff is what i'm saying there's like more frequency of like tweezer sand 46 days those are songs that like readily come to mind because i was noticing it so much but things like that but are gonna like not say it, those songs but, all the time but say it to me santos has more time between uh-huh. shows uh-huh. and still doesn't have as much frequency is, is my argument so yeah, that's a cast yeah, yeah, box yeah. so we can look at turtles in the cloud it's been played less often than sand this tour and that's what I'm saying. It's been played less than sand. So you're saying you want more of the newer songs played more frequently. I, I know. All I'm saying is, is to your point <laughs> of them good. coming out with new music and pushing new music like any band does. That's yeah. what, that's what tours do. Tours Correct. are to put new content. I'm saying I would 100% be okay if they played Say It To Me Santos over the course of summer tour they played it like they played like three times now, and they've only played that song like eight right. times. Right, so total. count me how many times they've played Forty Six Days or Sand. And if it's more than three or four times, why the hell are they wasting time playing the older stuff when they could be playing the new stuff that they're trying to push? To your yeah, point. Y- so you're you just said what I said. They can. I'm saying you're bitching about how you want to see new stuff. No, no, no. I'm saying I would. You got I yourself would even, into a cluster I, if, jam. If, over I'm saying there. if they were to repeat, let me say it as clearly as I can. If they're gonna repeat repeat new what they're, they're doing, doing is that. repeating old a lot and i would argue more so than new that's all i'm saying and if i'm wrong i'll admit it next I episode think you're I'll wrong. i think I, you're I wrong I and again i think you're just looking at this through like negative eyes I like i don't, don't. know man. i'm sorry that I, f- I you feel like i'm being pessimistic about this i, I do think, i think it's just at, at this point i'm i'm willing to bet that it's factual Okay. And I don't know that off the top of my head. I will. That's why I'm saying I'll gladly help you research this because I am genuinely curious because I, again, I walked away from summer tour upset and I was like there, it's now to a point where I don't need to take a week off to see fish. I just have to be really strategic about the shows that I want to see and where that's pushing me now is to say, well, I want to make a vacation of it. I want to make an experience of it instead of seeing fish for three days, getting in a place and getting out. Maybe I stayed at that 
place for a week and settle in and enjoy everything that that place would have to offer. But then that means them playing places like the Gorge or them yeah, yeah, playing sure. cooler venues that are like crazy camping or awesome venues like that, which would still push them to play different places that they've been playing of recent. Like we've gotten a bunch of SPACs. We've gotten a bunch of freaking... Um, I'm trying uh, venues that they like most often play Camden. Like have they've been playing for the past couple of years? Like they're playing the same venues, also same spots. That's also ticket related, and I understand that. But I'm saying if we're gonna push this ideology of like let's make an experience out of it and let's enjoy the venues and let's enjoy you know all the experience that fish can be, then let's push the fucking envelope at this point. If they can do shit like Mexico, let's do cool shit during summer tour too. Let's start accessing the West Coast. Why do we need to go four years in between it going from? From east coast to west coast and it has to exclusively be west or exclusively be the west east coast. i'll never go see them <laughs> again you're complaining about how often they pl they oh play where we live i'm saying like, if everything dumb. was bright-eyed and rainbows and unicorns then what the f i don't know you want to be critical let's be critical but let's also be like i don't want to be critical okay I just, I want to talk about how much I love summer tour. I guess maybe you don't like summer tour. You don't like seeing them in the summer then. I, right? I it's not your bag. I don't think I'm like falling what's your, out what's of. Your, what's your favorite place you've seen them? What's the best the place you've ever Baderfield seen? Baderfield in Atlantic City. I don't think. That was once. That was one time. It was, was a festival. And so it was, it's irrelevant. It wasn't a festival. It was a three day run. So it's it irrelevant. Was great. It was great. It was an awesome venue. It was a good time. I had, it was great. But here's, here's what I'm saying. I don't think that I'm falling out of love with fish. I think the things that I like about fish the most are starting to happen less frequently. I think the, the things that I idolized about them most, like you're saying is evolving into something different. And I think it's just moving away from those things that set fish apart from me. And that's fine. And it's, it is what it is. And it's where it's going. It just means that like my strategy now going into the shows has to change. I now have to think about it. Like I don't need to see them uh, a, a yeah, week yeah, straight. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. That's I don't fine have to follow them around cool, in the car and that's anymore. fine for you. No, it's, it kind of makes me sad, but it's, that it's era is over. We're, we're in a new arc. Like we're in a new era of fish. And again, it's cool. I just wish they would diversify a little more. I, I <laughs> see like I go see fish in different places because I love going to see fish and I love going to see them in different places, regardless of how glamorous or beautiful that place is. Uh, like I enjoyed that. Like banger shows were starkly different compared to like the Camden shows. They were two totally different experiences for me and I enjoyed them both because they're both weird and unique and cool. I'm finding it harder and harder to open up my wallet to things that are just slowly becoming the same yeah that's and that's a valid point but like you're saying what you're saying on the heels of the show they played last night and I it wasn't was like at the show last the night the craziest fucking show they've ever you played. have to first of all people don't know when we record you have to remember that this is just audio you have to provide context correct but i just don't want to get into it too much because i would like to do a whole episode on that show so you have to at least mention what you're talking about because uh no one knows seven seven fourteen 7 14 2019 the last night of alpine valley it was like a legendary show okay i'm not gonna ask you any more questions because i have a i'm i'm drawing up questions for this episode for you because cool, cool. again yeah, i'm cool, cool, cool. i'm attempting to test yeah the theory this your, your theory. Well, this specific theory about what's keeping you going with fish and i already have some stuff brewing and i just i can't 
I don't I don't want to give up my Yeah, that's fine. It's like it would be like giving you the debate questions before the debate. Cool. Yeah, so let's cap it cuz I really do want to do a whole episode on that yeah. on that show obviously. And I also want to like say that I am trying really hard to not come off as this critical asshole all the time. And I'm at least now trying to provide substance substance to what I'm saying instead of just being like, oh, I don't like that. Meh. <laughs> No, you because are. You are. You, I just <laughs> like passionately disagree with everything you're saying. But and I think it's because I'm a younger fish fan than you. I think it's gotten to that point. I really do. Like, I think it's gotten to that point now where like the fact that I got into them way later than you, four or five years after you is, is different. I just, I think it's also how I got into them. I got into yeah. them being sold that like, if you keep following them around, you'll constantly get different shit and it's always a party. And that's the second part is still true. It's always a party. But Can like I this, ask you a question? Are you still like quote unquote chasing shows? Chasing still, shows how? Like chasing a perfect set? Yeah. Yeah. No. Chasing like your idea of what a perfect show would be. No. Honestly, at this point, it's it's more about, again, what I got into fish classically for. And that was to be exposed to stuff. So like if again, if I see them three shows in a row or like, like we did two shows in the midweek and then go into the weekend for those five shows straight. I want to see as much fish that's different as possible. Yeah. I, I mean, I could argue that they're doing that more than ever now and they're being the most creative they've ever been. So let's, let's look up again. <laughs> we'll look up those statistics of this specific summer, summer tour, 2019 yeah, yeah, summer tour. We'll look at all the songs they've yeah. played. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll look at all the frequencies of how they played them. And we'll try to see how diverse across the 200 and something songs they have that they're actually being. Yeah, that's because cool. Because I, I think it'll be eye-opening for both of us. Either I'll be called out on my bullshit and they are being more diverse than I'm willing to accept. And I'm seeing that under a jaded lens. Uh-huh. Or you're seeing them through this jaded lens of you just haven't seen them enough yet glasses. To, to notice <laughs> that they're repeating on you a lot. So one of us is, or we're I in the wa- middle. I watch more fish shows. I am like more tuned in and yeah, dialed into summer the tour than you, you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I am aware of what's being played probably more than you are because I watch more of it and yeah. I go to more of it and I tune into more. And of I, it. I, but this is why I'm saying I think you're less upset because you're more accepting of it because you're just happy to see them, and that, that comes with, again, this, different lens, different perspective. I would argue that you just, again, completely and totally oversimplified <laughs> my standpoint. But you're, again, entitled to have your own opinions. I, again, fiercely and will very feverently debate you on everything you're saying because I think the opposite of everything that you're saying. That's great. And I'm really excited, again, <laughs> to pull in the statistics and have the hard paper conversation at the top of episode 38. Sweet man. All right. We also got some J3, J3PO episodes coming up, hopefully. We're fleshing out a couple of those. Yeah, I'm working on... Uh, I got to get the guys uh, from that Facebook group heady beer for fish fans yeah, um man. drew is one of them call uh shout out to him uh we're gonna try to get this uh i i don't i'm not worried about calling him in to the podcast yeah like av wise that's really easy what, yeah. we're, what we're trying to do is do it in such a way that he can hear our audio oh right so when we, when hey, we so reference like an actual music guest. and stuff that yeah. he knows what's going on because i i don't think it's fair to pull anybody onto this podcast and it to just be like 
uh, steel talk, especially if they have like momentous or, you know, these crazy moments in their fish history where they want to pull up and reference and we can talk about it. And, you know, half the reason why this podcast is about, you know, fish and beers to celebrate the music part of fish and we get to drink beer during the beer part. So we're also trying to figure out how to have the same cans when he calls us in so right. that he can taste the same things that we're tasting. That's cool, man. We're also so. going to work on a light episode. A light you're, episode. You're going to yeah. do some. Yeah. So I have magic on that. I took a ton <laughs> of uh, pictures at Bangor and yep. uh, Camden for yep. the specific reason to talk about all the crazy shit that Kuroda's doing. It's yeah, just man. fucking nuts. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's getting more aggressive now and uh, that's all I'll say for right now. Yeah, no. So we have some cool shit down the pike. All right. Tell us why we're listening to the song we're listening to. For, what is uh, the break song? I don't uh, even know. You Ruby picked Waves? it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you playing it? Great. This is like my song of the summer. I loved the song when I saw Ghost of the Forest play it, Ruby Waves. And... I was lucky enough to be at the Camden show night two where they, for the first time really took this song out for a ride. So this is the version we're playing night two Camden. Um, and it's since become this like fucking juggernaut of a thing. Like it's a great song. I nice. really love it a lot. And they're, they're playing around with it, which is great. Sweet. Um, you said that I just want to mention one more thing. Uh, I want to have a segment where we d- uh, do who played it best. Goes to the forest tab or fish. Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> Um, you just said that's that heavy, about, uh, heavy audio. That's yeah. a heavy audio episode. Oh yeah. We're going to be working a soundboard pretty hard on that. Sweet. All right. So we have Ruby waves from six twenty nine twenty nineteen 2019 at BB pavilion Camden, New Jersey. See you after this short 15 minute break.
got Jabril. I'm Eliza. I thought you didn't have to reintroduce it. I just feel like saying it again. <laughs> Who I am. I'm the kid. And we're about to drink some sick ass beers. Gonna step into the liquid. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, pulling on what you said earlier about how like you try to like make going make where you go to see fish like part of an experience. Like I feel like we yeah. do a pretty good job uh, with like checking out local beers when we go visit places. Yeah. I feel like that's what we do, right? That's like the other half of what we do. Yeah. When we're not seeing fish, we go try to like seek out like cool local ass breweries and taste, taste and try some of their shit. Yeah. So that's, I mean, I, like, I think that's part. I think it, I part think it's fun of, of a vacation. I was going to say, I think it's cool <laughs> and unique that beer allows you to do that because like the only other thing I can think of that people or that I know that people do that are like super like snooty or like super wealthy people who go to like wineries and shit. Yeah. And like the closest place here in New York city that I can think of doing that is like down on like long Island, like way out on the forks of long Island. The forks. But like I can go around New York city and easily go to 10 breweries that are all making local beer. I don't know. I think that's interesting. I think it is interesting. I mean, that's like the cool part of hyperlocal and not the shitty part of hyperlocal. Yeah. Like it does encourage people to like travel to where you're at and like where you're established and check you out like in that area. And that's cool. Well, I just also don't think wine can do that the same way that beer does. Like I'm not going to drink a wine that my friend squished with his feet (laughs) in his apartment and bottled, you know, like that doesn't have any significant, like wine is so significant to like where the grapes are. Terroir. Yeah. 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 Everything is about, well, so, and that's the thing. That's why beer is completely different because like, you know what to expect going in when you go to like get grapes in a fucking, uh, California vineyard versus like a Rhode Island vineyard versus like a long Island vineyard. Like, you know, going into it, like what you can expect. Yeah. Beer I think is completely different and people can make shit however the fuck they want. You can also have certain concentrations too. Like breweries can like be synonymous for making a specific type of style. Yeah. I, I And I feel like that's generally the route that breweries go. They either do that or they offer you nine styles of the classic styles that everybody read in that one book that all home brewers read. Brewing classic styles. That's a great book. Don't <laughs> knock that book. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying Bible. like, don't you, don't you think that like you walk into a brewery and they either only do IPAs or they only do farmhouse sales or they only do Belgian styles or not if you're smart, they do nine things yeah, from not, the classic not if beer you're styles. Smart. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> you do whatever you want, man. It's the beauty of it. All right. So what are we drinking first today? We're drinking a beer from Definitive, who's like a super new brewery in Portland. Yeah. Like, I don't, I, it can't be even a year yet. They can't, that's yeah, under a year. So and like very, very new. They're across the street from uh, Allagash. Yeah. They're in the industrial way. Well, they're not. place of all. Well, they're on Industrial Way, the street, but they're not in Industrial Way where Austin Street and uh, Foundation. As soon as you turn that right off the main road, that's Industrial Way. No, I said they're on the street, but they're not in the group. Like, I I don't know. I'm just saying that to say it's sometimes synonymous for me when you say Industrial Way that it's that group of buildings. No, because Allagash is an Industrial Way and they're not in Office Park. I'm just saying it as a reference if you're, you're being a stickler yeah, yeah, yeah. a stickler meek seeks 
<laughs> so Definitive is an industrial way. Okay. The birthplace of all amazing fucking breweries from Portland. Yep. Uh, under a year, I think not this last time we were up there to see fish, but the time before was the first time we had gone there. Um, and kind of to your point that you were talking about earlier, I, I really like going and check them out because they were a brewery that was doing a diverse, different type of style. They were yeah. doing a Kolsch. They were doing a Imperial Stout. They were doing a IPA. They were doing a Pale They were doing a Saison. They were doing Pilsner. They they do a, a myriad of stuff. Yeah. And I love going to breweries like that because, I mean, AI stay there longer to be, to try all their different styles. Like I don't walk in and see like a board full of eight IPAs and be like, okay, I'm going to drink maybe one of them and then leave. They had me at Super Nintendo. Yeah, they have Super Nintendo there. The last time we were there, that was obviously summer. So that whole outdoor space with cornhole and tents and stuff. It was super chill. Yeah, their whole back parking lot opens up. It's pretty, pretty sick. And they put up a tent, an outdoor tent. It's really nice. I don't, yeah. And I don't, I hope they're not becoming like synonymous with the style up there. I hope people are just going to visit them because they're new and they are doing a bunch of cool different things. Yeah. So, I mean, let's. So, the, we were trying, what is it called? It's a Conti. Kolsch. Yeah, it's their Kolsch. <laughs> And I don't know because uh, it's C O N T E E E. I'm T E E. I'm assuming it's Conti. Conti. Kosh, Kosh style like, ale. Like Chianti. I don't know why. Um, what do we think of this? You made a face. Um, I don't get. Uh, Kolsch is supposed to have that like slight. Uh, oh man, I might be confusing. What's a, a Kolsch? A Kolsch in a. Uh, What's a Kolsch? I'm always confused between, I was going to say, I'm always confused with, I think, Kolsch and Gozas. Gozas are the ones. They're so different. I I was going to say, one of them has uh, sea salt. That's a Goza. Yeah. And it's slightly sour. That's a Goza. But it's not supposed to be sour. So continue. Oh, is the Kolsch the sour? I don't, I don't. uh. A Kolsch (laughs) is a beer brewed with ale yeast fermented at lager temperatures okay so now that you know that explain to me how a kolsch should taste like cleaner than like a precisely what does lowering the temperature do to the fermenting yeast the l yeast that's fermenting it makes it want to fuck less and sleep more Correct. <laughs> so you are discouraging all those esters and, and that chemical activity that creates all those like uh, yeast ale character, like characteristics from an ale yeast that you want to coax out of it. Yeah. You're, ta- you're taking that ale yeast, you're still using it to ferment. So you're fermenting it with like normal temperatures, but you're slightly lower, closer down to like obviously not lager temperatures, but low to be able to control the ester production from that ale yeast. Yeah. So the reason I made a face actually has nothing to do with, um, the style, the style or the taste. I don't I know why great, I, I think carb it's the carbonation for me. I love the carbonation on this. It's super delicate. I was going to say it's, re- I wanted it to be more aggressive. Is that wrong for the style? Like I wanted to no, be like I... lager carbonated, like bubbly and like, like, like getting in between the bumps on my tongue and it's not, it's very velvety and smooth. Yeah. And but like, it, it's not like under carbonated by any means it's holding its head retention. Like it looks real great. Um, you know, the bubbles are suspended in the glass, like looks good. I, I, I don't know if that's just a personal preference for me. I just wanted a little more, a little more carbonated. I never want that. I never want beer that tastes like soda pop. 
I love and this bottle beer, condition. If you get a full, beers. like we're drinking them in taster glass, like little you know two ounce glasses. Uh, yeah, but like if I get a full mouthful and I let it, my tongue <laughs> sit in the middle of all the liquid, it mm. does you know prickle my tongue and stuff. It's just way more delicately carbonated than I would prefer. Oh, look at this. Their address is 35 Industrial Way, Portland, ooh, Maine, ooh, 04103. <laughs> That's interesting. Nard. Mm. Nerd, nard. I was checking the can to see if it was can conditioned because it is very, very nice, subtle, silky, soft mouthfeel with carbonation that kind of just evaporates off your palate, doesn't scrub it too aggressively. I very much enjoy this. You know, I love styles that straddle the line between like ultra light pale ale and like can maybe trick you into thinking it's a Pilsner or a lager. And that's exactly what this beer is. Yeah. It's great. I, I uh, actually just recently uh, reconnected with an old friend from high school who's now like going really deep down the home brewing rabbit hole. He brews like maybe three or four times a week. Um, How long has he been doing it? I don't know. Uh, we huh. literally just fell back into touch and I haven't seen him. He's a year older than I am too. So uh, it's been even longer. It's probably been like nine years. Um, for him or you? For, for you. Since either one of us has been in contact with you. Oh, 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 oh. And How long I, have you been brewing? uh seven years yeah yeah so it could have been um, it could be a couple of years yeah. so he stumbled across this like diy make your own like force carbonator because right now on the market the only thing that i've seen is the blickman uh apparatus that you buy hangs on the side of your keg and god forbid something happens it's not the preferred way to carbonate your beer obviously you always want to do it the good old-fashioned way but god forbid something happens or you need to flip a beer very quickly this little apparatus you run it for about an hour and your beer is completely carbonated Ugh, I bet I'd hate that beer. but so what's really interesting to me is that yeah. where i see that machine shining is mm -hmm. making carbonation similar to this Huh. I would imagine it Why would, do you think that? Because you I would control it. It would it would carbonate it enough like it is, yeah. but it would be like more it's not as like when I make the type of carbonation that I'm talking about that really soda poppy like highly aggressive super uh -huh. I just have to let it carbonate forever, like 3 or 4 days. And you need to agitate it and like get it going and it's just like that's nothing, no matter how like Insta, you know, you know how like when you do Insta rice or Insta whatever, it's like always a means yeah, to an never, end, but it's it'll never, never be as good as the original. Right. Right. So a really interesting experiment actually would be to taste a beer like this. That's definitely like super delicate on the palate next to soda. Like I wish you had like tonic or like, Coke yeah, no or, way. Like, it would be night and day. I can already tell you that. <laughs> yeah. It's. But a anything force carbonated is going to taste force carbonated, just different degrees of that. Right, but that's why I'm saying it'd be an interesting tell because if you could, if you could start understanding like manipulating and like most places or most breweries, as far as I know, it's just a aeration stone that's plugged into the fermenter that the gas passed through, and then because the gas goes through this aeration stone, which has all these super little mini micro pores, which is why you can't touch the stone with your bare fingers because the oils from your hands clog up the stone. Like it just allows the CO2 to dissolve into the liquid that much faster. So again, in an hour it'd be fine. But I also am curious. Like in an hour, you'd get simulated carbonation. You don't use but it's not. you don't use hydration stones in home brewing. Why not? I always used to because I've never I've never <laughs> found them useful in terms of like the ultimate product that I'm gaining until now. You're, now that you're, you're telling me you're prepping that liquid that you're about to pitch that yeast into into such a better environment if you pump 
oxygen into that. Like it's such a better environment. The yeast is going to perform so much better. I've never had a fear of my yeast stalling. And like my yeast always propagates and I've never had like, it's, there's never been. It's not about stalling. It's about getting to your efficiency in a timely fashion. I, I again, never had that problem. So it's not something that I've ever had to explore. I've been told that the reason why you do that as you start gaining in size is exactly that. You're trying to, in the entire time since you've been boiling and doing all that stuff, you haven't really injected the liquid with oxygen. And your fear when you're doing bigger batches is that you get stalled fermentation. So injecting it with oxygen helps, like you're saying, enrich it and make sure that everything's going to kick off properly. Yep. You can't, again, so at at a homebrew level where fermentation is... I've, I, I've never, I want to say knock on wood that I've never, ever had a stalled fermentation. So w- I've never had to practice the technique. <laughs> okay. I've never made a style that like specifically says, Oh, by the way, you should to each their own. But what, what I would say as someone who did do it during your homebrewing phase, like what did you see? A greater efficiency in getting to my final gravity. It happened quicker. So if I were trying to flip a beer quickly, you're saying it would be advantageous. But if not, and I have all the time to sit on it, like where, like I sell it to me, like be a yeah, salesman. No, so, of no a, so it doesn't ultimately matter. <laughs> it's a step you can omit. It's just something I like to do. It's, it's like decoction. I made my, my beer taste good. Do, I don't know. Yeah. You, yeah. You could decoct at a five gallon level. Or you can spend all the time doing it. Like i never tried that i really always did want to try decoction at a homebrew level because it's pretty basic it's straightforward you take out part of your liquid you boil it down then you add that back to give you you know the color and the richness i always wanted to try that it made so much sense to me it's just so much time yeah yeah it's a lot of extra shit yeah (laughs) yeah man i mean just that's like fun stuff to me like mad scientist shit to me like that's cool. That's like being super experimental. Yeah, I, and honestly, I'm not denying the coolness of it all, but like until uh, you should. You and I brew different ways. Home brew you, different ways. Have you ever seen? Uh, have you ever heard of the electric brewery? Yeah. This I've guy seen makes it. the temp controllers for people who want to go all electric. He has the sickest basement I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. He's got like a whole home brew, basically a mini brewery in his basement. If I had yeah, an yeah, environment yeah. like that where I could l- literally batch stuff yeah 24 sure, hours sure, if sure. i wanted to with the way yeah. his setup is you'd I could experiment just move, more yeah way more yeah because now i'm in a controlled environment where i can do that more securely yeah i mean that's fair all i ever just wanted to do was like do cool shit like un- learn the science of it and then kind of like manipulate things and just experiment with stuff you brew for consistency and that's totally the opposite of the way I used to brew. I mean, I, I never to, used to, to take gravity fair, readings when I first brew, started brewing. To be fair, finishing grad school, working full time and having an internship and looking for a new job, I wasn't doing jack shit. I haven't brewed in like a year and it's getting to a point now where I'm like itching and like I'm like ready. And what's funny is that the more I think about, you know, you know, once summer dies down and we're not like traveling or doing whatever and I can actually be stationary long enough to conceive a beer, I'm like, what the fuck am I going to make? Watermelon wheat. <laughs> so you keep saying. But like it's we're on. Perfect I'm, summer so beer. I, um, I was listening to uh, Noah Bissell just came out with a podcast. It's called uh, Graining In. Um, and 
it was the first episode, the audio, you know, they're, they're working on it. The quality is getting uh, better over the, they've only had like six episodes. But one of the things he says in the first episode, which I thought that you would really appreciate, um, is he's like, you know, brewing and like owning your own business, especially is like, you go through these like growing pains where it's just like your palate is evolving as you're creating beer. And he was saying how like it's, it gets to a point for him creatively as the, like the brain behind Bissell yeah. that like it, it gets hard for him to have to like conceive of something new. Cause he doesn't even know where his palate is. And because it's, it's, it's like fluctuating through these phases. So, you know, obviously back when he was, probably first coming out and making all the IPAs. He was at one spot. Now he's making a lot of lagers and, you know, there's other parts of the brew team that like, there's one guy who created a cream ale. There's like all these different people kind of pouring into the same space at the same time. So it allows him to kind of free up and go to their like mixed fermentation spot and start doing weird stuff. But his, the way he's driving what he chooses to make is solely based on his own individual palate. And I'm, I'm at a point now where, I'm kind of teetering off on my IPA phase and I don't think I'm going the route that you went where you went to like loggers and, and you know, that whole style. Like I, I don't know where I'm going next and like, sure. I'm excited to see when I actually have to sit down with a pen and paper and like decide a recipe, like what my pen, my pen is going to land on. Like, I don't huh. know what that is yet. You, what, what do you like to drink? Um, <laughs> what's interesting is that like, I'm, I'm going to the shit that I've always been like eager to make. Like I am interested in making a Kolsch, which is why I'm glad we're drinking one today. Like doing this ale. This is a really good Kolsch. I, I like a lot. I got a whole second, fr uh, uh, fr uh, freezer so that I could start doing lager fermentation. But like, uh, an Maybe ale. Your first lager was a big bust. Yeah. It was too malty. Um, <laughs> And before I go down you that do a little route, research. well, it's, I, I honestly, I did it in the way that I thought that I would want to. And I, I strayed away from classic styles and things that I was reading as references because I was like, no, I want to, I like, I think I know like how to get the right grain profile, how I would want. And I just, I didn't realize how exposed, uh, loggers make grain profiles. Like you can taste everything yeah. and you can't be heavy handed about anything. Yeah. Um, so it was a good learning experience. But before I go down that route of tying up my fermenter for another month while I only can make two lagers at max, I was just like, let me start, you know, Kolsch is a good idea. While I'm making a Kolsch, I could do something else. Like I want to go back into Saison's and I want to go back into like, I want to make yeah, a beer with bread. I want to like do the shit that I was like always too nervous to put the time investment on. But I'm like, if I'm going to do lagers anyway, I should just start fucking doing it. But you should just, uh, I think you should experiment a little bit more. And I think that'll help you kind of figure out what styles you really like to brew. There are styles that I really like to drink and there are styles that I would hate to brew. I would never want to brew a lager. It's a lot of time and patience and it's being so super exact that I fucking it's, hate all that shit. It's, I now understand. <laughs> I love drinking them. <laughs> I was going to say, I now understand why I've shied away from them for so long. Everybody goes, oh, cause it's hard. It's not even that it's hard. It, it's just the time i like being able to crank things out often it's part of my brewing like a lager is hard brewing something with four basic ingredients 
and nowhere to hide is really, really hard because that means you have to understand the ins and outs of every single step of the brewing process and how to tweak them according to what you're looking right, but for. Most people, especially at homebrew levels, are like cloning or pulling off a recipe yeah, or whatever. But even that, having the temperature control. And all I'm, like, all I'm saying is, is that it's, it's like Google to me now at this point for our generation, right? You and I, when we were growing up and super little, we couldn't just go on the internet and be like, how do I make a solar panel for my house? And like, just like YouTube it and like some dude's building a solar solar panel from scratch. I now at this point can go, oh man, I'm really thinking of making like a slightly less like malty dry um, Saison with peaches. And I can go on the internet and Google that shit and a fucking recipe will pop up and a couple different homebrewer forums like like if you really want to start and you can buy kits now from like Brooklyn homebrew shop is one of the places here in the city that does it where you could just get a kit that is the exact beer that you want to make. Like it's the, the cloning like recipe banks exist on the internet. So I could just go in and be like, I want to recreate Budweiser. Here's the closest recipe I can get to Budweiser. As long as I hit this strike temperature and as long as you know, my mash is at this temperature and as long as I hop properly and put it in a glass carboy done and done. Close Budweiser. <laughs> That's why those, have you seen those machines that are starting to pop up on the internet where people put them on their countertops and it makes yeah, them beer? Yeah, they're fully enclosed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, those are cool. I would, they're like a couple hundred dollars. It's not a thousand dollars, right? No, they're like eight hundred dollars. Yeah, 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 like, like two really, or three thousand really dollars. Yeah, yeah. But like you go up to it, you hit a button, and in two days, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you great. can have your Bud, you can oh, have your Budweiser brew I fresh. Love it. I love that. <laughs> How long before they're fucking... That's what Keurig, any, that's Keurig what, yeah, so again, that's with any hobby, right? That's anything in any hobby and moving technology, moving forward, evolution, things just being succumbed to like technology. I don't know. I mean, like whatever. Brewing, just, brewing is like anything else. Brewing is an art form. And that's what like you learn. I mean, that's what I learned when I was first into beer, like, and I got really, really into it. And I just wanted to go tour every brewery and kind of like, just immerse myself in it is like to me it always gets to this point where you step away from it creatively and it starts to become this automated thing and i've yeah. never i've never ever wanted or had any joy in saw any joy in getting to that automated level and if you want to be successful and you want to be a brewery you have to get to that level so for me, it's just, I don't know, the creati the creativity gets lost at, at a certain scale. I level. mean, but it's just like, you know, you ask yourself when you're in these, like, even the big machine breweries like Victory and like yeah. Abita, like the guys who have been around long enough where they're just huge at this point. And you go, I mean, what's their creative process? At what point does someone sitting in a room go, huh, maybe we should make this. Like at Allagash, as we've come to know, we've had a friend of ours who actually put out a beer there. Like that's what they do. They let people on staff kind of just create. And then from there, if something's good enough, they put it into market. A lot of breweries do that. Like, a lot that, of breweries do that. But why do you think? But I then think you're that's comparing it to like people like Sam Adams and those people look at like market trends. But I think that's where those breweries get their input from. But the value to that is that like, you know, sometimes the creativity has to come from elsewhere because your palate is in this state of flux where you're just like, shit, where am I going? It's almost like a like a, a palate writer's block where you're just like, my palate is so fatigued. I don't even know what I want to drink anymore. And like, that's what I think this like year away from brewing has like really put me in a place where it's just like, well, what, 
what am as an wow. like as an artist, a beverage artist? Like, what am I trying to put out there? Sorry, yeah? you just made I me made that sound pr- pretentious, right? I but used to like, I used to work at Subway in high school, and they called us sandwich artists. <laughs> I wasn't an employee; I was a sandwich artist. Well, so here's the thing: like, there are things about brewing that I still struggle to create. Um, I want to make smells that like people aren't accustomed to smelling. Like one time I made a beer that someone argued smelled like suntan lotion, coconut suntan lotion. Like that blows my mind. The, we, we were at this festival uh, out in Williamsburg, this beer festival, and this mm. dude made a uh, beer that it's smelled like and tasted like blueberry muffins. And we've mentioned it. I always forget what beer it is. Like that's the Green shit. Ocean. That's that shit that like, I, that's where my creativity blueberry goes. pancake. Yeah. That's fucking great. I, I, that's where to my me, creativity goes. To me, that's like going. very green. That's being very like a novice. Like when I first started brewing and when, when all my friends first started brewing, like everyone wanted to throw this, that, and the other into your beer. Yeah. I think it, it's you the quickly classic, start like, to, early mistake. Correct. And you quickly yeah. start to understand just like in a lot of things that restraint and being very limiting is, is more is going to get you to really where you're looking to go. Seeing like what you just said, there are hop varieties out there that smell like coconuts. So like all you have to do really is research that and figure out how to use that, what its alpha and beta acids are, if it'd be appropriate to use in like a late edition hopping to give you that aromatic, like, creativity is the cool part like that's the cool part right but at some point you have to ask yourself like what is it that i'm here to create and like it it, it, again it reminds me of like who like who told this dude in vermont to freaking make the cloudiest like craziest beer ever call it heady topper now all of a sudden we have an entire new style off that shit that like like who eventually decides for the first time that they're gonna pick something off the ground and cook it and then try to eat it like there's this like like this like leap of faith that you kind of have to take with yourself and i guess what i'm struggling to find is like where's my next leap like where am i going like use some of the beer we're trying today as inspiration well now let's talk we, about uh, what we're moving on to yeah we just cracked open the what is so it the we extinguisher? went we went from banger to philly Philly and uh, we a w- really sensational brewery, Tired Hands, if you're not aware of them, from Ardmore, Ardmore, PA. They're about a half hour outside of Philly. Um, we're drinking their Tongue Extinguisher, which is a really fucking hilarious name. I, I didn't love the can. Yeah, art. I didn't realize the can art that. is like a clo- what looks like a microscopic close up of someone's tongue, and there's all these little germs crawling all yeah, over. Yeah, it's it. like Mad Rick and Morty. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, Permacursed Double IPA. This is pretty good. <laughs> I don't really care for this style. I was trying to do some research about their artwork on their website the other day, but I really couldn't find much information. I love their artwork. I think they're one it's of the weird. breweries that has like the coolest fucking artwork ever out there. Uh, so this is their double IPA. What do we think of it? Um, Unfiltered. It's very... Canned immediately. It's very double IPA. It's very sweet. Um, the aromatics. I think this is actually really nice because it's very bitter, but it's got like a gentle quality to it that isn't too aggressive on my palate. It smells like peaches. What are what are your general thoughts about tired hands? Um, we got to go there. 
uh, while we were in Philly and there was not a beer. I, there wasn't a beer of all the ones that I tried that I didn't like. Yeah. We had a lager. Yeah. (laughs) Everything they make is really fucking good. Um, even, uh, they had this milkshake IPA, which you always make fun of me for. The second I see lactose and mosaic and citra hops and like things, I go, oh my God, I have to have that. You just like, right gravitate away. towards like the opposite of what I gravitate towards. Um, it's funny. What's interesting to me with that type of shit, so the milkshake IPA they had, um, the name is escaping me, but I remember the like the scripters. They were saying it was a vanilla bean brewed with lactose. Strawberries. Strawberries, vanilla bean, lactose. Isn't it strawberry milkshake IPA? Yes. Um, I could taste strawberries. I could taste vanilla bean. I could taste the lactose, but like none of it was like I was drinking you know, that shit that they used to make like uh, chai lattes, the the pump shit where it's not actual chai spices and stuff. It's like the like syrup. syrup. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like that. A lot of the times when beer starts going that route of you're gonna taste like rock candy and blah 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 blah, blah and they start like throwing weird shit in there. I'm like, this now just tastes syrupy and like I'm drinking a soda. No longer tastes like beer, but it was. It was funny. You and J3PO both made fun of me after ordering it. And then I, I drink it and I'm like, holy shit, this is actually like really well balanced, really like, uh, you know, claiming everything that it claims to be. And I don't mind it. And I push it on J3PO, who also has no palate for that, like sweet, weird, like crazy shit. And he sips it and he goes, huh, it's actually not that bad. And I was expecting him to come out and be like, oh, this is stupid shit. Like, why do you always, like, order stupid, like, blah, blah, blah. But I think there's something to be said when you can put that much shit in a beer and, cl- and claim that it's going to have these flavor profiles and you fucking nail it out of the park. Yeah, it's I also sh- think there's something to be said for a brewery that does multiple styles and they do multiple styles really well. Yeah. This is good. I like this beer. I think it's really light. Yeah, these dudes got chops. Light and nicely hopped. I also really love their facility. It's really cool. It's like got that family yeah. friendly, like sit down restaurant thing on the side. And then the people who just want to get beers, there's also like a whole nother seating area, like right in front of the tasting room, like, like the bar that runs all the taps, like the kitchen's like an open kitchen, which is next to the taps. It's just like a really nice space. Yeah. I, the, the way I got into tired hands was there two of their main beers uh, one's like a hoppy pale ale, like a grassy hoppy pale ale, and the other one's a saison, like a hoppy saison. So like, <laughs> those two styles for me are like very much in my vein, like very much what I like to drink. And they just fucking nailed the shit out of them. And now they're making cool lagers, awesome stouts. I was gonna say I remember the first time we went there, which was like two years ago or like last last year. year. <laughs> we went uh, again last year. Yeah, they had a saison that I really liked too. So they they are known for and predominantly a farmhouse saison brewery. Yeah, they have that's a bunch like of what fouders, they do. Yeah, a bunch of fouders in their uh, brewery, like five fouders, I think, at this point. Can I? Can, <laughs> I I'm just I'm very curious because like I don't brew beer regularly, but if I were to, I think I would brew the same way I like to drink. I would brew the same way I consume. I would want something like easy drinking that I could have a couple of. That's always like, so your goal. Is that yours? I think any, I feel like brewing a fucking strawberry milkshake IPA is not going to do that. Here's what I think. I think that beer is so good. Even for its style, it's a freaking 
<laughs> milk IPA, lactose IPA. Uh, yeah, oof. I'm not into that. What are are you trying to, when you would conceptualize an IPA? Are you conceptualizing one that you would drink twelve of? Are you conceptualizing an IPA that you could when drink? I when I like, think of beer, <laughs> I think of beer. Like I don't think of like having something sweet. That's why this whole like dessert series and like all of this crazy shit of like adding all this crazy bullshit to beers is just like beyond me because like i am always been the person that's like oh i want to sit down and like crack a beer and have like a piece of pizza right but if or i want to drink a beer at a barbecue like those classic like beer yeah, moments if, are if, like what i like and i like like very sessionable easy drinking but you're a chef time. do i want to come up to you and be like hey can you deconstruct macaroni and cheese and make me a macaroni and cheese deconstructed dish you probably could, but I just want fucking macaroni and cheese, like craft, like shitty macaroni and cheese, even like. I love craft macaroni and cheese. It's fucking great. So, whoever decided to deconstruct it and make it weird, but like if they could pull it off, wouldn't you want to eat it? Um, if someone like perfectly deconstructed craft, I don't, you need to be like more cheese. clear. You're kind of being. I don't really know what you're trying. Uh, No, not vague. I just don't know what you're trying to say. If, if someone craft Mac and cheese isn't a deconstructed version of macaroni and cheese. It's like a simplified, like quick version. Now imagine you're so good at being a chef. I could be like deconstruct that. And you could give me a dish that was all the elements of shitty Mac and cheese, but deconstructed into something elevated. Do you not think that that chef has chops for being that creative and being able to pull it off? and execute like i tried to pick something really stupid i would do to be something like, with like nutritional yeast i think but like that's what i'm saying like you're, <laughs> you're pushing someone to the the brink that's like why everybody watches these like iron chef and top chef and all those stupid fucking shows because it's like you're taking someone out of their element and you're being like how good are your chops that you're able to I pull think this shit off all those shows are ultimately testing a chef's creativity right so isn't the ultimate test of a brewer's creativity is making a making a beer that tastes and smells like blueberry muffins like, why is that not a feat to you? Hmm. Like, why See, is that is, not amazing yeah, to you? Yeah, this is actually super interesting to me. Uh, because I, that's a valid point. I... <laughs> Are you Ryan Heiskabolting me right yeah, now? <laughs> yes, more or less. I, I think, in my opinion, I would consider somebody to be a good brewer who consistently gives me something of high quality. And again, it's uh, regardless of style, just consistently gives me something of high quality. That's what I would view. But by that definition, I could make you again, a deconstructed anything beer wise and still give you a high quality lager. And you're going to call me the same good brewer that I would be anyway. No, no. I said consistently good quality. Right, right. And I said, so if I'm the type of person who can conceptualize something as crazy as blueberry smelling and tasting beer, uh-huh. but can also make you high quality lagers, uh-huh. you're going to say the same thing about me anyway. So if I'm going to make the high quality lager, that's going to make you think, you know, you got to try, for example, a brewery, Bissell Brothers, who specializes in IPAs and pale ales. You got to try their lager and you sat there at the brewery and you went, huh, this lager's not that bad. I like it, right? So like point at the end of the day, if I want a strawberry milkshake, I'm going to go get a strawberry milkshake. I'm not going to drink a beer that tastes like a strawberry milkshake. Right, but how many versions of a freaking saison are you going to get to before they're all variations of slightly different hops or are you going, "Well, now what?" 
I don't, I don't, I never ever bash the brewer who's thinking outside point. of the box. Because if we start being critical of people thinking outside the box, then where the, f- what are I'm we not, doing? I'm not criticizing people who think outside the box. I'm being critical of people who only know how to think outside the box. But I don't think any brewery just makes weird, crazy shit. Let's take See, your, honestly, one of your favorite brewery. Honestly, I your- would love to say you're right, but unfortunately, the what way if- things are going is these fucking brewers just try now to make the craziest yeah. shit they can possibly make and like Dude, I saw on Instagram the other lager. day someone <laughs> throwing fucking waffles into their beer. Yeah, waffles. And that drives me insane. That drives me insane. Right, but if you're going to make an it's omelet, like a you got to crack some that, eggs, But that's man. like a marketing gimmick. That's sugar. What yeah. you're throwing in Rock there is sugar. You do whatever you want. I get it. Yeah, but, yeah. Like, <laughs> but if you're going to make an omelet, you got to break some eggs, man. So you got you need some people to throw themselves on the sword to figure out something good from it. Like, I don't know. I, I'm not ever going to. They're, they're the other side of the coin. It's like being two-faced. You are one side of the coin and people keep coming back to you because you keep making good shit. Or you're the other side of the coin and people keep coming back to you because you make 8,000 different types of crazy shit. Right, but like... So every time you go back, there's something crazy and new to try. You, aren't you a massive fan of Cigar City? Don't you like Cigar City? I do like Cigar City, but half their menu is, is ludicrous. crazy, stupid shit. It's like bubblegum lager. Yeah, but like, <laughs> again... <laughs> it's ludicrous. Yeah, but like, come on, like... They wouldn't have found... That's a brewery... You see, now you're you're giving me the example of a brewery that's catching both those extremes. They're yeah. catching both poles of the extremes. They're catching the people like me who just want to go for like a wit beer or a lager and then they're catching those people who are like, oh, I want to go get a bubblegum lager. And that's because they have like 28 lines or 30 lines. They have to fill up all those lines. Yeah, but like, again, the, at the end of the day, <laughs> I think what you're saying is what I was saying in the fish segment, right? You have, you have a couple things... <laughs> You have a couple things that are like you're tried and true. And when breweries start moving away from the things that make you love beer the way you love beer, you start to question your allegiance to that brand or your, that specific brewery or whatever. So it's like when, when things start to not match these core requirements that you have, you start going, yeah, that well, you is it personally worth it? have. You start doing Correct. a cost benefit analysis it's where you're all like, subjective. is this what I got into it for? Right. Correct. So but, you'll always uh, have those stupid bros who are like, I'm in this, I'm in this beer world to get palate like driven, like blown the fuck out. I want every double IPA, every triple IPA. I want every pale ale. I want everything as hoppy off the scale ever. And I only care when things are hoppy, 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 hoppy. And you're like, dude, drink a lager. And you're like, I, if I wanted to drink water, I drink water. Right. It's like, it's the same being very extreme and dramatic. I mean, I'm trying to make example. the point. It's like, it's the same way as like when you and I want to drink our shitty beer, we drink Michelob Ultra and some people give us shit. Michelob Ultra is not like, my shitty beer. I love Michelob Ultra. Uh, 97 say, calories, 2.6 grams of carbs per serving. Yeah. I, I love it. You know why I love it? Cause yeah, I can drink like six of those and not feel bad about it. Yeah. And I don't feel bloated and I feel good. Yeah. So again, <laughs> but the, again, that's core belief, right? If you uh-huh. go to someone and you say, Oh, I just drank a Michelob Ultra and they're this high horse pretentious beer snob they're gonna be like ugh, ugh, you drank a Michelob ultra gross if i were gonna drink any that's micro. just being judgy you can't judge anybody that's so, fucked up so, i drink Michelob ultra so and i love just, the best craft beer ever i've drank the best of the best craft beer so aren't you just saying what 
you were saying to me in the fish segment. It's like you, you Prove have, your point. You're saying literally yeah. words. You have together. these core beliefs, these <laughs> things that make you tune into the thing that you're doing. Be a beer. It's not a core belief. It's the reason why I like something. That's the reason why you stand by something. It's and, the reason why you follow something. It's the reason this, why you're this, into something. Right. This in the psych world we call that core belief. It's like something yeah. that's in your root. It's like it's the it defines the reason why you like something. It's like to the bone. So if if someone strays if someone starts straying away from that, how loyal are you gonna be before it violates that core belief so much where you just go, I'm not I'm not into it. Nope. I'm off. You gotta pull the ripcord at some point. So what you're talking about is like how do breweries like Cigar City like ride the line of pulling of people pulling that ripcord or staying invested? It's like how do people capture that? And I think that's something that every brewer struggles with because it's at the end of the day you're making either something for you or you're making something for for what you think the market's gonna like. And and you have to again ask yourself and be like, what are my core beliefs? What am I trying to accomplish here? What is my goal as a brewer? And I think when you are producing beer that much and especially professionally, it sounds like you hit these moments where you're just like, well, where am I at this point? I have to like kind of stop and get my bearings again. Like what am I doing for me and what am I doing for the market and what allows me to be the most creative and what allows me to push the envelope so that I can infer what the market even wants to have. Like who decided like one year was going to be a Kolsch year who decided one year was going to be this year. Like those market trends happen for a reason. And it's because at the end of the day, one brewer is going to be like, I'm going to make this, I'm going to bang it out of the park and people are going to be able to believe in me enough to take a risk on it. And I might sway people who normally wouldn't have an IPA or wouldn't have a Saison or wouldn't have one of these. And they're going to go, holy shit, I want that. And now when I turn around and make a bubblegum beer, they're going to be like, you know what? That sounds really fucking weird, but because that guy did it, I'm going to try it. Ooh, see, <laughs> whatever. And I might be surprised. I might not. I might fucking hate it. I might pour it down the drain. But fuck, <laughs> gonna make an omelet. Gotta crack some eggs. Say it again. <laughs> That's how I end this this segment for me. What are we going out on? <laughs> <laughs> what was your? <laughs> yeah, I'm over it. <laughs> I'm just just the kid. The kid's just spewing words. (laughs) No, no, it's not that you have valid points. I'm just saying that most of them are debatable and I'm too tired at this point to debate (laughs) them. (laughs) We're nearing the end. We're getting to the finish line. (laughs) Oh man. I by next episode, if I've got to have that fucking spreadsheet, you've got to have what you're going to brew. That's fine. Announced. An official announcement of the next uh, <laughs> Game Henge Brewing Yeah, product. you got to have it ready. And it can't be a watermelon wheat now because that's just a lob over the plate for you. Well, I already have made a water- watermelon wheat, and I've made that recipe perfect. That one's written down in, like, Sharpie. Like, that recipe's not changing. Yeah, so see if you can make it again. I've made it, like, three times. Have you? Yeah. Have you? Because I've only tried it once. <laughs> so where are these other two mystical times? Oh, man. Oh, man. Uh, what are we going on, on? June 21st, 2019, PNC Music Pavilion in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's also the same show that Say It To Me Santos, which I think we use for the top of the show. That's cool. But I'm going to play... North Carolina? I'm going to play... Uh, yeah? What's More. Up? You know why? Because I'm trying to figure out what more I can do with brewing and I'm trying to figure out what more fish can give me to keep me happy. I'm I'm the Lizza. I'm the kid.
Later. See you next time. Life in slow motion. Feet are in the clay. I'm going nowhere. Been standing here all day. I had a notion there was something more to do. As I watched the water from the banks of the river, it swelled and grew. And I tilt to the left, lean to the right, tilt to the left and lean to the right. Walked on coal and slept on glass amid swords of sound and daggers of light. And my heart is screaming. Cause half of what I say is lies. And it takes so much to keep up this disguise. Up this disguise. I see a doorway in the haze, and I'm trying to get to it. The stars are peepholes in a wall, but we can walk through it. And the memory's still so real. The memory's still so real. I guess it's never really over, even when it's over. But I'm lying.